Come on. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, last, last week I managed to embarrass my wife, so I figured it's only fair if I embarrass myself this week. When, uh, around the time I became a believer, I developed a strange interest in poetry. I uh, attempted writing some poems. In fact, I even attempted entering one of them into a tournament. And, uh, of course, it didn't win. I wasn't a particularly good poet. But uh, around the same time, as I said, I, I became a believer. And I was introduced into Bible riddles. It was something that... Uh, Bill McDonald used to entertain some of us young people with. He would ask us a riddle. The answer would be found in the Bible, and it got our minds thinking, trying to, to find the answer to the riddle. And so because I was kind of into poetry, I attempted my hand at a few riddles myself. As I said, uh, they're, they're not any better than my poems were. But one of them uh, actually has its answer in this passage, so I thought I'll go ahead and share it. And uh, if anybody... Notices the answer as we're reading, feel free to uh, point it out. And if nobody will, I will. Okay, here's how the riddle goes. Riddle, poem, whatever you want to call it. It says this. It says, A vision of the sun is given to the one whose seed will fulfill this wondrous plan. I told you it wasn't very good. But uh, there it is. You want me to read it one more time? One more time. A vision of the sun is given to the one whose seed will fulfill this wondrous plan. All right, we'll, we'll cover it today. So if you've you know, got your, your uh, wheels turning, they'll be satisfied soon. All right, let's uh, pick up where we left last week. My wife told me as I was uh, preparing for the sermon last week that I'm kind of leaving it on a cliffhanger. There we were with... Uh, uh, Isaac about to bless Esau and Jacob coming in, deceiving Isaac and cheating his brother Esau and receiving the blessing himself. And of course, Esau wasn't very happy about it. And so you kind of wonder, well, what's going to happen now? After all, Esau is a manly man and may not let this quite go down peacefully. So we'll pick up in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 41. Genesis 27, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay there with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets that you have done to him what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Chet. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Chet, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, 
you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Betuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. So here we see the continuation of the story. As we mentioned, Esau was quite unhappy about what happened, and in fact decides to murder Jacob as soon as their father is dead, which fortunately won't be for many years. But Rebecca is very concerned about that, and you can understand. She actually uses the phrase, I don't want to lose both of you in one day, and if Isa murders Jacob, Isa himself would be put to death, and there Rebecca is bereaved of both her children. Now we mentioned in the, in the last uh, study we had on this uh, previous passage that there's a lot of the works of the flesh involved here. There wasn't a lot of faith. Rebecca was told that Jacob would be the one blessed and that the one that will inherit the blessing of Abraham. And yet, she's afraid that's not going to happen when she hears Isaac saying he's going to bless Esau. And so she contrives of a way of bringing Jacob into the path of the blessing. And we mentioned that was an act of unbelief. She should have trusted in God. Here we have the same thing, really. God has said he was going to bless Jacob. Jacob would inherit the blessing. Technically, she doesn't have to do anything. But once again, it's this, if you would, act of unbelief or fear what's going to happen if I don't take an action and prevent this disaster from happening. And so she cuts in and basically tries to direct Jacob away to protect him from her perspective. But again, it's an act of the flesh, an act of lack of full confidence in God. Now, she comes up with this reason, which is actually a very uh, good reason of why Jacob should leave. She says, well... He can't marry one of the daughters of this land because they would make terrible wives for him. And she had some personal experience with that because Isa has married the, some of the women of the land and her and Isaac got to see just how godly, how ungodly the women of that land were. And she recognizes, and Isaac he recognizes, that yes, Jacob needs a godly wife. He needs a like-minded wife. He needs a spiritual wife, one that would help him live the pilgrim life. Remember, this family has been taken out of the families of the world and set apart for a special work that God has for them to inherit the blessings. And through them, the Messiah was going to come. And so Jacob, who was going to continue that work, needed a wife meet to help him do that, to live that spiritual life that God wanted him to live. So that's, that is a good reason she brings up to Isaac, and Isaac agrees with it. And so Isaac goes ahead and he sends Jacob. He tells Jacob that you shall not marry one of the women of this land. You shall go to your mother's brother's house and find one of his daughters and marry one of his daughters. Again, the idea is that Jacob would have a godly wife. There's a recognition. He needs it. He needs to go and get the godly wife. Now, it's neat here. Uh, Rick and I were talking about this after last message. We mentioned how the blessings of that time were not the type of blessings of today when we tell somebody, well, I hope everything works out well at the end. As we look here at verses 3 and 4 of Isaac's blessing to Jacob. The blessing really is a prophecy. 
these men spoke and the words were fulfilled. If you remember later on in, in the Bible, we'll run into other people like that, like Balaam, who people would pay good money to him to have him come and bless them because we, they knew what he said really came to pass. And fortunately, God controlled his people and prevented them from saying blessings that were against his will. Even though Balaam was hired by Balak to curse Israel, God stopped him every time and caused him to bless Israel instead. So what, what Isaac is doing here is truly speaking the words of God to Jacob. And these are the words again. May, and actually, in the Hebrew, it's even stronger. The word may isn't there. It says, God Almighty will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you will be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Again, this is, this is the purpose of the people to inherit this blessing. And the promise or the prophecy that Isaac is giving to Jacob is exactly along the lines of what Jacob is trying to achieve here. He, he is sent on a mission to find a godly wife, and this is a promise that God will help him. The divine uh, presence will go with him and ensure that he gets what he's going, what he was sent to get, right? Because it promises him that God will, will make him fruitful and multiply him. Well, you need a wife for that. And the purpose for that, again, is to inherit this, this land that God has given to Abraham. Now, there's a word here, which is not here, which I'll bring out. It, it comes in verse number three. The word is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Verse three says, May God Almighty bless you. The Hebrew word is May El Shaddai bless you. If you went to Yosemite this year, you would have heard a series of sermons about the names of God. We had uh, Jamie Hall preaching about some of the names of God, particularly the ones that appeared early in the Bible, and this was one of them. And Jamie Hall came to me on uh, Glacier Point. I wasn't there. He didn't seek me out there. We both happened to be there at the same time. And, uh, you know, he, he asked me about the meaning of El Shaddai. He pointed the fa- out the fact that there seems to be uh, some dif- disagreement among commentators. What's the Hebrew root of the word El Shaddai? And, and the two that people debate about is Shaddad and Shad as being the Hebrew word of the word Shaddai. And Shaddad comes from the, the root of, of overcoming, being greater than, being stronger than. Uh, the word uh, to violently rob someone actually comes from the same root speaking about the ability of overcoming. The word shad actually is, is the word uh, that usually applied to the breast of a woman. It could be the breast of something else, not necessarily that of a woman. And he asked me, which one did I think was it? And I said, well, I think the root of the word El Shaddai probably comes from this word, the breast of a woman. But it, it, it's an uncomfortable subject for us to discuss because usually when we think about the word breast of a woman, we think about it in the way that a man thinks about it. Whereas in the scripture, it's really used in the way that an infant, a baby, would think about the breast of a woman. El Shaddai would be the God who provides for me everything that I need. That's, that's what it means. El Shaddai, the God that uh, is to me what the breast of a woman is to a child. It's everything. You know, The child cries until <laughs> you give him what he wants. 
uh, his nourishment comes from there, his, his protection, the, the antibodies of the mother come through that source and protect the baby. And really what, what God is saying here to Jacob is that is the relationship that I want to have with you. I want you to look to me to, prov- to provide for your needs. Up to now, Jacob wasn't doing it. He was following in Rebekah's footsteps. He always tried to do things on his own. Well, God was telling him, no, you need to stop doing things on your own. You need to look to me for your provision. That was the promise. It was really a special name that God gave the, uh, the patriarchs. If, if you read later on about the name Jehovah being declared, God tells Moses, by this name they didn't know me. They knew, they knew me by the name El Shaddai. He was the God that really supported the growth of the nation. He was there. He met their every need. And that's, that's what God wanted to be to Jacob. He wanted him to learn to look to God as Abraham learned to look to God. And eventually Isaac learned to look to God in that way. And that's also the way that God wants us to look to him. To recognize that in him is the answer for our every need. We need to look to God in that way. Let's pick up in verse 6. Actually, we'll pick up in verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So it, it's interesting to me that after God speak, speaks through Isaac to Jacob, God appears to him again at this particular juncture. And it speaks to me about the fact that it's not enough for us to to hear about God from others. We need to come to know him ourselves. God wants to have a personal relationship with each of us. And he will interrupt our lives as God here comes and interrupts Jacob's life that we might have that personal relationship with him that he wants us to have. Now, uh, I didn't see anybody raise their hand or say anything. But uh, okay, a couple of people did. All right. So we, we do have indeed the answer to my riddle. It's in verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, the ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. First I want to stop and think what this vision might have meant to Jacob. Because it, can, it means something else to us today, perhaps, than it meant to Jacob at the time. Clearly, this was a vision whose intent was to encourage Jacob to trust in God because that's what this passage is all about. God is trying to get Jacob to put his faith in God for what's coming instead of trying to do things on his own. And I think of, of, of uh, 
people like my grandfather who believes in, in this God who may have created us but then just kind of let us drift into space and is not so concerned about what's happening on, on the earth. And this vision is contradictory to that idea because you see a ladder from the earth to heaven and on the ladders go angels up and down and on the top is God. And it's clearly as if it's God sending his angels to the earth to do what they needed to do and they come back to God to report to God what has been done. It's a God that's very concerned over what's happening in the earth and which has the power to influence what's happening on the earth. That's the vision, I believe, as Jacob would have perceived it. Well, why, why did I say it's a vision of the Son? And yes, I meant the Son of God, a vision of Jesus. Well, it's because Jesus himself alludes to it. There's, there's a verse that most people uh, don't catch. Uh, it's, uh, what's the word for it? Sorry, it will come to me later. Obscure, yeah, kind of an obscure verse. But Jesus tells this to Nathaniel. Nathaniel is one of the early disciples and he comes to Jesus and he, he professes faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, you, just because I told you I've seen you under the, the fig tree, you say you believe, I tell you, you shall see greater things than, than this. You will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the, I think the Son of God or the Son of Man at the time. I forget which, which title Jesus used. But clearly Jesus was referring that same prophecy or picture to himself. And I'm thinking, well, when did that happen? You'll search the Gospels in vain to find people actually seeing angels going up and down on Jesus. Well, I believe he is referring to the cross. Well, the access of God to mankind was made manifest. How can God, being holy, deal with us sinful people? Well, in Christ, that door has been opened. We talked about that earlier today, that by Jesus dying for our sins and putting away that one thing that stood between us and God, he opened, if you would, the floodgates of heaven to come and to bless mankind. And for people that are sinners like you and me to come and have a relationship with God. That's what Jesus has done. And that's how Jesus really fulfills this vision. He really is the one through whom we can come and have this relationship with God. And just as that vision should have encouraged Jacob to trust in God for what was coming, the, the mission that he was on, in the same way, when we consider that God gave his only son so that we can have a relationship with him, the, the scripture says this. It says, He who spared not his own son how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We can trust that God will give us everything that's good and is needful for our relationship with him and the purpose and the things that we want to do for him here below. If he was willing to give the thing that was the most expensive, his son, the thing that cost him the most, why would he withhold his hand at anything else that we need? It says this, it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father with whom there's, there's no, uh, a shade, uh, no shade of turning. He's, he's determined to help us and to bless us. And we can continue to look to him just as he gave us his son, so we should continue to look to him for every good thing that it, we need that is good for us. All right, let's see how Jacob responds to this, picking up in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he said, he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. 
Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillow, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been loosed previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set as a pillow, shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So, God has revealed himself to Jacob. He has made this promise that I, I kind of glossed, glossed over. Let me go ahead and read that again. This is the promise that God makes to uh, Jacob. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. God wanted Jacob to put his faith in him. And he gave him this very specific promise. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. I'm going to protect you, to provide for you, and I'll bring you back to this land. It was a promise that would have meant a lot to Jacob as he was going on this uh, journey, this goal of finding a godly wife in a place hundreds of miles from his home. And he might have been filled with fears and doubts. And here God promises, I'm going to take care of you, Jacob. And now we're looking at Jacob's response. And um, I, I feel here for Jacob because commentators give him a really hard time because his response is, is very poor. God says, I will. And Jacob says this uh, in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. And he finishes, then God will be my God. Which means, in Jacob, at the end of everything God says, there was still doubt. He, he wasn't fully putting his faith in God and trusting God to take him to where he needed to go, get what he needed to get, and come back safely. He, he just wasn't. He, he said, if God does it, then God will be my God. But he didn't just trust in God. And the reason I, I feel bad for Jacob is I look at myself. And I, I see how many times, instead of trusting in God, I try to do things by my own power. And yet, the wonderful thing, uh, even though Jacob here fails, and we'll see the consequence of his failure in the next chapter, we see that God is interested in having that intimate relationship with Jacob, and having Jacob trust in him. And God is working in Jacob, and trying to bring Jacob to put his faith in God in that way. In the same way, God wants the same of me. He wants me to have that personal relationship with him and really trust him for, for everything I need in my life. And God is at work in me to bring me to do that same thing, to trust God and lay on God for the things that I need. Let's pick up in chapter 29 and verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And, he, and they said, We know him. 
So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then they said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together, water the sheep, and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and they have rolled the stone from the, the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass, when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. All right. So we come to see how, how Jacob here is continuing his journey to acquire the godly wife that his parents sent him to get. And uh, there's, there's a strong con- contrast between how Jacob does it and how we saw it done a few weeks ago. I don't know if uh, people remember Eric preaching about Abraham's servant who was sent by Abraham to the same place to find a wife for Jake, uh, for Isaac. He, he got Rebecca for Isaac. And there's such a strong contrast between the way that servant did it, uh, we'll call him Eliezer as Eric did, and the way Jacob does it, that I can't, that, that it's valuable to look at it. And uh, because of, of lack of time, I'll just summarize the story. But the servants get commissioned by Abraham. He goes to the land. He gets I don't know if it was the same well or a different well, but he comes to the place that the women of the city went to draw water to bring it to the city, and he stops there, and he, he asks God to help him. He's, he's very concerned about this. When he was given the mission, he tells Abraham, wait a minute, what if the girl doesn't want to come? And you can understand his concern. He's asking a girl to leave her father and mother and family, go to a place she's never been at, to a man that she's never met, who's living a pilgrim's life, trusting in something God said he will give but hasn't given yet, women that do that are hard to find. And so this this servant is asking, telling Abraham, wait, what if she's not willing to come? And Abraham assures him, he says, the Lord who sent me here will send his angel before you and he'll get the girl to come. And so he comes, but he gets to the well and he just prays and asks God, God, give me success today and, and give me a sign And he says, let it be that the woman whom I ask to give me a drink will say, I won't just give you a drink, I'll also give water to your camels. And Eric mentioned how it's not easy to water camels because they can drink a lot of water. And yet he does it. He, he, As soon as he finishes praying, he lifts his eyes, he sees Rebecca coming, and he says, will you give me something to drink? And she says, I'll water you and I'll water your camels too. And after she does all that, he says, tell me whose daughter you are. And she says, well, I'm the daughter of Betuel, or Nahor, Betuel, I forget. Anyways, the, the brother of Abraham, or cousin, or something like that. But 
but he's, you know, remember, he, he was asking for a sign about a woman that would be willing to water him and his camels. And it turns out that's the very person that he was told to come and get. And he stops right there and just worships God on the spot. And he, he just hears him mentioning in his worshiping God what happened. And she runs and tells her family what has happened. And when he comes later and he says, well, you know, you know what, why I was sent. I was sent to get Rebecca. And they say, you know, this thing is of the Lord. They could clearly see in everything that happened that here was God moving this man and providing Rebecca to him and they just sent Rebecca with him. So, so that's, that's the contrast. That was the right way of doing it, if you would. Well, now we're looking at Jacob and we'll see those differences between them, which is really the consequence of trying to do things in our own way instead of doing things God's way. Instead of really looking to God to provide for us, we try to provide for ourselves and we get into the same trouble that Jacob's get to. Well, the first thing we see Jacob does, and it's one of those famous scenes, at least I learned all these things as a child. So I'm assuming people here learned them as a child too and heard of them. If you haven't, that's okay. Uh, but one of these major, you know, biblical, you know, scenes is Jacob sees Rachel with the sheep and he loves her so much that he gets this superhuman strength and he lifts up this stone from the well's mouth and moves it so that she can water her sheep. Well, you know, he may have loved Rachel when he first saw her, but it's interesting when you look closely at the passage, it actually says he saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, and he saw the sheep, the sheep of Laban. And then he goes and moves the stone, and I don't think he loved the sheep that much. And yet they're put at the same level as Rachel at this particular point. I think what Jacob was trying to do is really get a good first impression. I mean, he's, he's concerned, just like Eliezer was concerned, I'm going to go and ask a woman or the woman's father to leave everything she knows to come and follow me into my pilgrim ways. You know, they're not going to accept me. They're just going to send me back empty-handed. And I think he was already beginning to think and scheme because that's what Jacob seems to, to think he can do best. And what can he do to secure a bride for himself? And so the first thing he thinks of is lifting this great stone and, you know, watering the sheep. Now we'll see here the first consequence of trying to do things by ourselves is a loss of a testimony. I think of how God was glorified in what the servant did and how the people who heard about it were like, boy, this is of the Lord. And when we look to God to provide and God provides, it's an opportunity for God to glorify himself. And people see the hand of God acting. Well, I don't think anybody saw the hands of God acting here in what Jacob did. In fact, it's probable that they weren't very happy with what he did. Think of the words they were saying. He comes and he asks them, well, why are you standing around and not watering your sheep? And they're saying, well, you know, we can't. We have to wait till everybody gathers together. Then we move the stone and then we water the sheep. And in, in that particular particular place of the world, water was a valuable, scarce resource. And so in a sense, it was being guarded, and to assure it was being used properly, you couldn't just go and get it yourself. You had to wait till everybody and the sheep were gathered together, and then you move the stone, and then everybody can get the equal amount or a fair amount or do some sort of a proper use of the water. And so Jacob just threw that all to the wind. He moves the stone himself and waters the sheep of you know, his uncle. I don't think that's a good testimony. And, and that a lot of time happens when we try to provide for ourselves instead of trusting God to provide for us. I think a lot of times we end up the same way. There isn't much of, God is not glorified. We're not leaving much of a testimony behind.
we're acting just as selfishly as everybody else. They're not going to see God in it. Let's uh, continue here in verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel's, Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed but a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in to her. And Laban gathered gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. And Laban said, gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which with with which you will serve with me for another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as wife also. And Laban gave his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as a maid. Then Jacob also went in to Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Well, Jacob finally meets his match in scheming in Laban. Uh, but let's, let's focus here on what Jacob is supposed to be doing. Remember, he's here to get himself a godly wife. And once again, unfortunately, he's not doing what the servant did. Remember, the servant just trusted in God. You know, he, he goes out there and said, you know, I followed God, and he directed me to Rebekah. Will you give her as wife to Isaac? And they ask her, and she agrees, and she goes. That's it. That's, uh, ideally, that's all Jacob should have done here. He should have come, told this story, look, my parents said, I have to find a wife here, and I'm following their instruction, and God made me all these promises, and I've come, and I, I want you know, the hand of one of your daughters in marriage. But he doesn't. In fact, he waits a month. If you look at the servant, the servant is very direct about it. He refuses to touch the food in front of him when he comes to the house. He says, no. I have a mission to do, and until that mission is over, I'm not going to touch the food. With Jacob, he's like, spends about a month without even saying what he was there for. And if, if we'll follow the example of him moving the stone, I'm going to guess he was a really good guest. <laughs> Probably doing the dishes every night and, you know, watching the sheep and, and taking care of things. Because Laban says, you know, just because you're my relative, should you serve me for nothing? Laban recognizes that, you know, Jacob is doing something to get something. <laughs> and, uh, and Jacob, you know, sadly, instead of trusting God to provide, he's thinking, what can I do to get a wife? And particularly a specific wife. He already decided in his heart which of the daughters he wants. And so he comes up with this, I will serve you seven years. Seven years. 
or one of your daughters, specific daughter, Rachel. And that's a heavy price. That's a heavy price to pay. He, he didn't realize it at that time. It says, it, at least the first seven years seemed to him as, as a few days. Let me quote a verse from the end of Jacob's life. He says this. This is uh, really coming toward the end of his life, and he's an old man. I think he's like 130 or something like that at that point. We'll see exactly how many in a second. Uh, but uh, so Pharaoh is impressed with him. Boy, a man you know, who lived long and probably has done and seen many things. And he asks him, how old are you? And Jacob says this. And Jacob, Genesis 47, 9. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So, even though Jacob lived pretty long for what we consider uh, normal life is today, uh, at the end of the, his days, he was thinking his days were few and evil. So this was a heavy price, seven years to pay. And we see it became even heavier. It became 14 years. And it speaks to me really about the consequence of trying to do things on our own. We pay a heavy price, a heavy price for trying to do things on our own. I remember when I was looking for a job after I finished school, it wasn't an easy time to find a job, kind of like today. It was coming right after the beginning of a recession. And uh, I tried to set myself what I thought were godly parameters for a job. I wanted to make sure that I'm getting a job from the Lord. And so I said, well, you know, it has to be here because I'm involved in serving God in this place. So I shouldn't be moving somewhere else. So I just look for jobs in this area. Furthermore, I, I don't think I should be commuting more than 30 minutes in one direction. And again, that's just me between me and the Lord. He, he may have guides other people in, in other ways, but my time is valuable. I can spend it with my family. I can spend it serving the Lord. I shouldn't be spending too much time on the road, so 30 minutes limits. And that unfortunately puts Silicon Valley out of my reach. My, my background is in material science, and most of those kind of jobs are in Silicon Valley. And I, I wanted a job that doesn't require me to give my lifeblood for it. I wanted a job that more or less would be a 40-hour uh, a week job. And those are not easy to find this day. You know, most workplaces, they want, <laughs> they want you to give everything. And I didn't want that. And uh, so I started looking for a job with those parameters. And one month passed, two months passed, three months passed. And I was getting kind of depressed about the whole thing. And I was thinking, I could have loosened up the parameters a little bit and said, well, you know, maybe the Lord wants me to serve him somewhere else. Or, you know, maybe, you know, driving longer isn't a big deal or working longer. And uh, the Lord, uh, praise the Lord, he provided for me a job that met all the criteria that I had set him. As I said, it took about six months, six months before I got that job. But uh, I was thinking, had I, had I loosened my parameters and ended up with a job farther away, longer commute, I would have paid, paid a heavy price for that. I wouldn't have been able to spend as much time with my family. wouldn't be able to serve the Lord as much as perhaps I can serve the Lord now. So there's, there's a heavy price to be paid for trying to do things ourselves instead of looking to the Lord to provide for us. Let's continue here in verse 
31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reu Ben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will come, become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? We'll skip to verse 14. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. There are reading for today will be finished if you're looking at your watch as I am. But we see here really the third and final consequence of doing things our way. If we stop here and take a look at these two wives, actually two out of four wives Jacob ended up with out of this mess. Uh, the first one is Leah, and we see that God, because she Leah is, is unloved, if you would, Jacob is more attached to Rachel than to Leah, God has a special place in his heart for, for those that the world uh, rejects, I believe. And uh, in his special mercy, he gives her children. He gives her four sons. And it's neat to see that Leah recognizes who gives them to her. She recognizes that it's the Lord. And she gives the Lord's credit every time. And after the fourth one particularly, it says, you know, now I will praise the Lord. You could tell that this was a woman that had a spiritual sense. She recognized God was the giver of children, and she praised him for giving them to her. And now, if we turn and look at Rachel, we don't see such a spiritual character. Uh, the first, first place we see it is in chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. Rachel turns, when she sees, she doesn't have any children. She envies her sister, and she turns to Jacob and says, Give me children, or else I die. She's looking at the wrong place for the provision of children. Well, certainly Jacob has something to do with it. But it's not due to lack or neglect on Jacob's side that she hasn't had any children. It's because of God. And even Jacob tells her that to her face. It says, you know, he became upset with her and says, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So clearly, Rachel is not recognizing here who is the one that can give her children. It is God. Okay? Then if we look at the next passage in, uh, in verse 14 that I read. Uh, we see Reuben goes in the days of the wheat harvest. He must be a young child. He finds this plant called uh, mandrake. And Sharon asked me, what's a mandrake? Well, in the Hebrew, the best translation would have been 
somehow the plant of love. And uh, it's known to have some uh, narcotic effects, but it was used very widely in, you know, magic. Uh, when people try to, do, to make potions and to give you the ability of doing something you, do, you couldn't do, they would often use this plant called a mandrake. Okay, it was really, uh, if you would, uh, a way and access to the supernatural, as people saw it at that time. And it's very interesting that we don't hear a record of Rachel here turning to God when she realizes that God is the one that's withholding her from having children, turning to God and crying out to God to give her children. Instead, we see her turning to this you know, alternative medicine, or really, in some could be even witchcraft, in order to try to have children. Instead of looking to God, she's looking in all the wrong places to try to have children. And we don't have time to read that, but later on, when Jacob leaves uh, Laban, she will actually steal her father's idols and take them, take them with them as they travel to Canaan. Clearly, this wasn't a godly, the godly woman that Jacob was sent to find. Well, what's the lesson here? Well, if you're intent on getting something by your own strength, you have no assurance that that is the will of God. You could very easily get something by your own strength that's going to be bad for you. Okay? God wants only good things for you. And if you look to God to provide, he will only give you good things. But if you try to get things by your own strength, you may very well get them and regret getting them because they were not part of God's good will for you. And here we see that Jacob was sent to get a godly wife. He goes after a woman because she's beautiful. By his own strength, he gets her and she turns to be an, turns out to be an ungodly wife. Instead of doing him good, helping him on his pilgrim ways, she is a source of stumbling to him and his household. We see the idols remained with, with uh, Jacob for years until finally he's ready to go to Bethel again and he recognizes that, that that was a source of sin in his life and a source of stumbling stone. So Rachel had the opposite influence on Jacob than what his parents intended when they sent him to get a wife. All right, I, I always try to finish on a, on a good note if I can, and Jacob presents a real challenge here. But uh, God is an encouragement here. I, I mentioned before how Laban seems to be this just match perfect match for Jacob. And it's clear to me, even though clearly Laban is, is doing something that's very uh, deceitful and wrong, it's, you could almost see God's hand in it. Uh, if you think about Jacob has just done in deceiving his father by uh, exchanging himself for Esau to receive the blessing, and now you look at Laban deceiving Jacob by switching his two sisters so the wrong one gets married. It's hard not to see God's at work here. And what is it that God is trying to accomplish? Well, I believe God is really trying to get through to Jacob and to show Jacob what he is like. And until we see what we are like, we don't open up to God to let God really work in our lives and do in our lives what he wants to do. As long as I think that I'm a pretty good guy and I can on my own, accomplish and do good things and get to heaven and all these other things. I'm not letting God really reach into my life and first of all, save me and second of all, use me for the blessing of others. I have to first see myself what I am like. And I believe that's what, what God is doing here with Jacob through Laban. He's shining, you know, if you would, a mirror in front of 
of Jacob and saying, look, Jacob, this is what you have done. This is what you are like. And the purpose of all that, it's a bad news. But the bad news is so that we will then come to God for the good news because he has provided for us. And we see that, that here also working out through Laban. Laban deceives him in giving him Leah, and then God uses Leah for whom to bring the promised seed. Leah is the one for whom Judah came. And Judah is uh, the next person in the line for which the Messiah will come. And in spite of the things that we do, God is still working out his plan. And his desire is to do good to us and to save us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We confess that when we look at Jacob, we see a lot of ourselves. Instead of trusting in you and looking to you to provide for us, we often try to do things our own way and really mess things up instead of, uh, of having the good things that you want us to have. We ask, Lord, that you might work in each one of us as you worked in Jacob's heart to show us what we are like on our own, that we might really make room in our lives for you, for you to come and uh, give, give us the blessings and uh, to bless others through us as you wanted to do with Jacob. In Jesus' name.